Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to All Stats, Aren't We? A podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Ellen Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm Tom Alder and I'm joined today by Adam Elliott. Adam, how are you? Tolder, remind me what year this is. It's 2024. It, it doesn't feel like it. It feels like 2022 again. It's a bit of a weird one. I, I can't really put my finger on why. But I'm good, mate. Yeah, it's good to see you again. Um, been a long time, a whole 24 hours. Um, but yeah, I'm fantastic. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I think it's... I'm, I'm feeling good because we've got an extra guest here today, haven't we, Adam? Indeed. It, this is why it feels a bit weird, a bit nostalgic. Yeah, so obviously we're, we're here today to talk about Chelsea, who we play in the FA Cup on Wednesday evening. Now, we don't have a Chelsea fan to discuss this one. But we do have someone who we think can do an all right job at giving us the lowdown on Chelsea. So I'm happy to say it's Tifo Football, The Athletics and The Totally Football Show's John McKenzie. John, how are you? Hello. It's uh, yeah, it's weird being back on. Um, I'm glad that you still use that absolutely awful intro that I wrote <laughs> five years ago. Um, I think I kind of love it and I think everyone else loves it. And I know it off <laughs> by heart now. It's weird. Yeah. But yeah, doing really well and looking forward to chatting to you guys about about Chelsea in particular. Yeah, I had when I was reading out that introduction then, it was a bit like, you know when you pass your driving test and then you drive your parents around for the first time? <laughs> that was like me doing the introduction to you then, because it was after all the years of you doing it to me. Let's get into it then, because um, I guess for some Leeds fans, they probably don't watch the Premier League when Leeds aren't in it. Some probably still do, and some probably just only watch Leeds games. So it'd be quite good to have someone like yourself, John, who watches a fair amount of Chelsea and gives us the, the lowdown on them. So could you start by letting us just know how the season has been for Chelsea and what changed from the season before? Yeah, I mean, it's it's not been a great season for Chelsea, I'd say, in general. Um, they're very much not in any kind of title race, which I think was maybe not the expectation, but I think a lot of people thought they would have been challenging for the European spots at the very least this season, but instead they find themselves in the mid-table. Obviously, the whole context behind Chelsea is that they have become the the, the sort of project of a big hedge fund in in London, uh, sorry, in in, in America, um, who've pumped a lot of money in, um, had some pretty interesting uh, approaches to player contracts, and they yeah they've tried to bring in a lot of uh, I guess high high end young talent to uh, try and challenge at the, at the very top of the Premier League, and it hasn't really gone particularly well this season. So um, yeah, in terms of the the season so far, they're very much mid table. Their underlying numbers suggest that they're they're, they're better than their, their table position uh, suggests. But I think there's some interesting um, counter arguments to that, which we can get into in in, in a little bit. Uh, they've just lost in the final of the Carabao Cup um which i think is which i think is interesting um because yeah the, the their season's very much now based around 
what they can achieve domestically. So they will still be taking the FA Cup seriously, you would have thought, uh, with nothing else really to play for at their end. Um, but yeah, I think a really interesting team to to get into um, because their their coach is Maurizio Pochettino. And I think there's certain things about what he's doing in terms of what he's getting the team to do in and out of possession. That actually strikes me as being maybe a little bit uh, outdated as well. So there's questions about um, whether or not he's able to get the most out of the players that he has at his disposal as well. So that's a sort of broad brush stroke picture of where Chelsea are at right now. And I guess what what about more recently? What is there anything that's changed sort of in the last few weeks? Obviously, there's the yeah the obvious one, like you said, of the the uh, EFL Cup final. But is there anything else sort of that's changed at Chelsea recently? Uh, I wouldn't say necessarily. There's been a huge amount that's changed um, in terms of what they're doing with with personnel. They've had injuries as every as every Premier League team has, but they're still playing the same sorts of structure in and out of possession. You're still seeing a lot of the same problems um, in and out of possession as well. Um, that we've, uh, to be fair to Pochettino, that we've seen across a number of seasons now with with Chelsea. So, yeah, the one one of the things that sort of stands out to me when whenever I talk about Chelsea is it it does feel as though they're they're very much in the sort of cycle of trying to sort things out by bringing in more players or a new manager. Uh, and yet, despite that, we've we've now seen them go through Thomas Tuchel, um, Graham Potter, and um, Frank Lampard as well as. Uh, Pochettino and yes to varying degrees they were more or less successful at various periods obviously Thomas Tuchel was very successful at the beginning but by the end everything sort of started feeling very much the same and they put Potter in put Lampard in uh, they brought Pochettino in and it's still the same old story so uh, big questions about how you turn that team around and bring them into this into this um, reality where they're able to challenge at the top of the table so a, a lot of it does come down to what's going on behind the scenes and the sort of unusual approach that Chelsea have had uh, at squad building and, and team management um, as well as what's going on in on, on the training round as well. Let's get into the details of it a bit more then so because you said that Poch maybe isn't getting the best out of the squad that he's got. So, what what is how is he having Chelsea set up in possession, um, and is it working basically? Yeah, so Pochettino, as you may remember, when he was coaching Spurs in the Premier League, he would use this. I, I suppose it's a sort of four-two-three-one shape, maybe a four-three-three shape that can become um, lots of different things in different phases. But often what you'd see when it was Spurs was you see Eric Dyer dropping it as one of the midfielders, dropping in between the two centre-backs to allow them to push the full-backs quite high. And then you've got uh, t- uh, two midfielders, usually Christian Eriksen dropping in to help in the build-up with with Moussa Dembele. And then you had a front, a really exciting front uh, three ahead of him as well, and Deli Alley, uh, Hyungman Son and Harry Kane. Um and that same that sort of shape is what he's using now at Chelsea. So it's the same sort of idea. So back for a flexible midfield three, where you can do different things and build up to try and solve different problems if they if they arise. Um, and then yeah, some some kind of iteration of of a front three as well. Um, so in terms of what they're trying to do in in possession is they are trying to move the ball down the field in 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 a sort of structured uh, possessional sense. Depending on the opposition that they're coming up against, they will have different approaches. Um, and a- again, there'll, there'll be quite a lot of flexibility uh, week on week as to how they're going to attra- try and achieve that ball progression. So um, Enzo Fernandez, it plays alongside um, Moises Caicedo in the midfield usually. Sometimes we'll see Enzo Fernandez maybe pushed further forward and have a different player deeper. So Conor Gallagher has been used there as well. Sometimes Conor Gallagher is used in the slightly further forward position uh, and, and Enzo is deeper. So that's that's tended to be the options that they've had in the central midfield area. And we've seen different things happening in, in, in build-up. So more recently, we've seen Moises Caicedo drop out into the back line in the same way that Eric Dyer was doing for Spurs. Um, and I think the, the the reasons for that, I mean, the reasons for that are that you want to, you know, if you're coming up against a high press, you might want to give yourself more of a chance of retaining possession to to move the ball down the field. Um, and we we also see Enzo Fernandez, to be honest, if he's playing a little bit deeper, sometimes dropping out into the wide areas as well. Uh, again, just creating space for someone else to move into. So maybe Conor Gallagher or Cole Palmer, who often plays on the on the wide wide on the right or um, even as a striker, he can often jump jump down and help with with the build up as well. Um, so that's how they're they're doing their structuring their deep build up. But um, and they're, and they're pretty good in the deep build up phases. They sometimes struggle against teams who are pretty aggressive at high press. Um, but for the most part, they've been okay at getting through uh, those high presses. Those high presses. 
maybe some of the issues that we've started to see once they get through those early phases of the build-up is that you know you then have to move into into your into your attacking phase and move into the opposition's final third and again we're seeing some of the problems that have uh, haunted a lot of recent coaches that Chelsea have had which is it feels as though a lot of the time they they can get out of the first few phases of possession but when it comes to getting trying to generate dangerous chances they're just not quick enough and they, and they allow the opposition to get into their structured defensive shapes um uh, because they're not moving the ball um quickly enough so yeah they they then have these some of these issues where they're trying to they they do generate a lot of chances because they do commit a lot of pl- players forward into the box but in so doing they they also leave themselves quite exposed um to to teams on the break as well so one thing that you'll see um often it feels like when i'm watching them anyway is they get into this sort of settle settle possession in the opposition in and around the opposition's third um and they'll be maybe on one side or the other they're going to end up eventually slinging into the box but they'll have committed you know six players into the front line to try and get a dangerous chance from it they'll sling the ball into the box and then they've got um the the, the one of the midfielders who's presumably wide trying to get the ball in or one of the wide players uh, and then a massive space between their defensive line and the and the attacking forward line so if the chance isn't generated then oppositions that are really good at exploiting space are going to be able to uh, counterattack on them as well so yeah those those are a couple of the problems that i would say that they have in in, in possession in particular maybe a little bit too slow if they if they build up um through the first few phases quite slowly they can often struggle to break teams down um and often in trying to break those teams down they uh, leave themselves quite exposed in terms of uh, of what a tacticians will call rest defense. So rest defense is just the idea of when you're attacking, what kind of defensive measures are you taking to make sure that if you lose the ball, you're not going to be completely open. Um, that said, in possession, what, one of the things I think they're very good at is when they come up against some of these elite teams who are trying to do the same thing that, that Chelsea are trying to do to teams, which is force them back into their, final, into their own third and generate you know, a volume of chances... Chelsea are really good at actually doing quite quick one-touch passing to move the ball through a high press and then hitting the channels, um, trying to get overloads in that way. So if you've watched them play against Man City, if you saw them play against Liverpool in the Carabao Cup final, we saw that happening quite a lot. So lots of, I would say, quite unstructured build-up where you almost have like a rondo of players who are moving the ball around quickly in order to try and get through the first few lines of the opposition pressure, then get the ball through that pressure and hit the um, space, usually in behind fullbacks or, or wingbacks, depending on who they're playing. And um, yeah, how many times have we seen them running down? You, you get someone like Cole Palmer running down the wing, uh, Malagusta running down the wing, and then working these overloads at the far post where you've got Raheem Sterling running in or uh, Mikhailo Mudrik running in uh, with, with not a huge amount of defensive pressure from the opposition as well. So that's the areas when they can be quite dangerous, when they're coming up against teams who are going to commit a high press on them when they're trying to build up. And they'll be able to often yeah, work these rondos, move the ball quickly down the field. They often play in quite diagonal lines as well because that helps them hit those uh, wide channels as well. And they can be quite dangerous from there. But I think against any team who's going to be maybe a little bit more conservative, as we said, they're going to maybe struggle a little bit to to, to break them down. Um, and so, yeah, teams who are going to be quite dangerous in transition, think Leeds United, I think will uh, potentially um, have some joy in being able to um, sit a little bit deeper, absorb pressure, win the ball back and then hit on the counter-attack. Yeah, it's interesting what you say about Chelsea probably doing better against the better teams and maybe struggling against the lower teams because from my limited watching of, of Chelsea this year, I'll, that was probably what I would say as well. Um, my, my next question you kind of alluded to at the end of your answer that there about how you might see them doing against Leeds. So I can't, I don't think Leeds are going to approach the game on Wednesday sitting in a low block, but they'll probably, the, Chelsea will dominate the ball in this game and Leeds will hit them in transition. So do you see, I guess, from your first answer, maybe that this will play into Chelsea's hands a little bit, but also there will be chances for Leeds from that perspective. Yeah, I think so. I mean, Ch- Chelsea have very good players, so they can they can always hurt you. And um, there's a reason why they've got good underlying numbers. Yes, they've had finishing issues this season. They've generated a lot of chances there, and they haven't scored to the level that you might expect them to. Um, but they are still generating those chances, and they do have the sorts of players who can hurt you in those sorts of situations as well. So, I'd say I, I'd say that. The the games that yeah Chelsea have 
tended to struggle with have been in against teams where they're expected to win. Um, we've seen them labour in a few games now. Um, I'm thinking Middlesbrough, I mean, in the first leg of the Carabao Cup semi-final, um, where where Middlesbrough were able to... Um, I think they won that game 1-0 in the end, didn't they? Um, yeah, yeah. So, you know, there is the possibility that, that some of the deficiencies that Chelsea have will be able to be exploited by Leeds. And yeah, I, I think stylistically speaking... That's the, the way that Leeds are going to play is going to be one of the ways that that um, that Chelsea can be hurt, and we're going to go on to talk about um, some of the weaknesses that Chelsea have um, out of possession in a bit. But Liverpool in the Premier League game that they played before the Carabao Cup final won comfortably four one, and Liverpool were able to cause a lot of problems because um, Liverpool are a very direct team. They're not trying to build up slowly. Um, they're quite unusual, I suppose, compared to a lot of other maybe elite sides these days who who, who tend to be more uh, patient or tend to prioritise safe possession over over uh, verticality and, and, and directness. And so they were able to find spaces in the Chelsea defensive structure. And, you know, if you play with speed um, against Chelsea, you can find those pockets of space and you can cause them a lot of problems. What about the out of possession side for Chelsea then, John? Mm. So generally out of possession, Chelsea will be defending in a 4-4-2 shape, which is what a lot of elite teams will do these days. Um, and they tend to form that by pushing Conor Gallagher into the front line. Or whoever's the number 10 into the front line in the 4-2-3-1 um, tends to be Conor Gallagher, Gallagher because he's a, a exceptional exceptional pressing player. And so you can get a huge amount of upside from having him in that front line. Um, so he'll move up alongside the striker. And then you'll have the two wide players either side of them, two players in midfield in usually Enzo Fernandez and, and um, Caicedo, as you said, and then the back four. Um, they can be quite aggressive, I think, Chelsea, in terms of what they're, what they're pressing. And the way that I think that manifests is that they often jump their wide players up quite aggressively. Um, and so you, you almost end up with a 4-2-4 shape, which is reminiscent to what we used to see under Jesse Marsh at Leeds. Um, so people <laughs> will know the the, the potential uh, weaknesses that will open up in that kind of pressing shape. The the ones that sort of strike me are the, the there's two things. One of them is that there's not enough vertical compactness because they jump they have their front line jumping up and the wingers jumping up, leaving you know okay the far side winger maybe if you're pressing on one side, um, and then the two midfielders. Um, but often, I mean, I'm thinking if you if you press with the right winger, for, if the, the the right winger for Chelsea presses up, you've usually got Raheem Sterling on the other side and he's not the most um, uh, fastidious presser on the other, on, on the far side, and so sometimes it can feel as though the the midfield two get a little bit isolated, um, and also that you know the you're seeing a big line a, a big gap opening up between the defensive line and the and the forward pressing unit. Um, I guess um, Chelsea have been playing uh, Thiago Silva a chunk this season, and I guess when you're as old as Thiago Silva, you don't want to commit to. A, a super high line because you know that if the ball goes in behind you, you're going to have to get back, and that just in, increases the sort of uh, distance between players in in a press. And if you're doing an aggressive high press, the more distances there are, distance there is to cover, the harder it is for you to enact your press. So it's one of those things where that that lack of compactness in 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 the the Chelsea system means that um, it, it can be quite easy to find the the space in between the lines, the the space between the midfield and the the defensive line as well. And often what you'll see teams doing, this is one thing that Liverpool did really well, just moving the ball side to side until they found that's the the gap in between um, the, the the gaps in between the the midfielders, and they were able to punch the ball through to um, someone sitting in that in the in the pockets of space, and then you're basically running directly at a back four which can cause all kinds of problems for for any team of any level. So yeah, that that's one of the things that I think really stands out. The other thing that stands out is they actually get very um horizontally compact when they're pressing as well. So one of the things that you'd see happening for for Liverpool in the in the 4-1 game is that they would try and build up on one side. They would invert Joe Gomez to give you better access to Luis Diaz. They pass out from the center back into Luis Diaz. And Chelsea would then squeeze right across onto that side of the pitch. Again, think the sorts of things we saw from Jesse Marsh. And then what you're seeing was Liverpool trying to hit um, the, the you know diagonal build up to to hit the the fullback. It was Connor Bradley, I think, in, in that game. Um, and the the second goal came from Connor Bradley scoring directly. The third game goal came from Connor Bradley hitting Dominic Soboslai, um from 
another similar type of build-up, having a lot of space then to sort of gets front fronted up against one of the centre-backs, gets around him, is able to cross the ball in and Dominic Sobozlai scores a header. So those are the two areas, I think, in particular that, that Chelsea can be quite vulnerable. If you can if you can play quickly and you can pull, you can bait their press in, play through it. Um, you can hit those lines of space, between, uh, the pockets of space between their midfield and their back line. And if you can if you can break their press in in uh, on one side of the field, there's always routes, usually quite comfortable routes, to the other side of the field, which can then open up massive channels for fullbacks or, or wide forwards as well to to really exploit. So, yeah, it it feels as though they the 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 out of possession for for them is a, a massive weakness, and we're seeing it exploited in lots of different ways by lots of different teams. Um, so yeah, I think that those will be areas that Leeds will be focusing on as as it goes into the week because I think there is possibility to cause Chelsea problems in that way. Let's talk about the squad then. So I normally ask which players good and bad do we need to look out for, but I guess in this case it's probably which players for Chelsea are good. Yeah, and and look, as I said at the beginning, like that they they all their players are very 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 good players, um, and it's important not to 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 confuse the diff the difference between a group of players playing in a system that works for them and a group of players who are playing in a system that isn't getting the best out of them. Um, and look, the the way that that washes out is that this is a team that is going to be however they line up against Leeds is going to be very good they're going to have individuals are going to who are going to be able to have moments which can hurt Leeds and they you know that there it's not just that everything is abject there are things that they are very good at if they if they can find space in channels after having broken through lines of pressure then they can be devastating we've seen it time and time again and yes maybe they're not finishing as clinically as you would want them to if you were their coach but they are still generating massive massive chances um which some of some of which will go in um so yeah the the, the players to look out for i suppose i mean i think that they're in terms of their midfielders individually they they are very good um in term, in terms of Conor Gallagher, Enzo Fernandez, Moises Caicedo now Moises Caicedo has been uh, become a little bit of a laughing stock i think but Again, I think the re- the reason for that is because he's being left to cover so much space. He just gets exposed all the time because of Chelsea's out of possession structure. Um, but yeah, Enzo Fernandez is a player who can generate incredible moments. Conor Gallagher is someone who's going to run all day long. He's going to put uh, opposition players in build-up under a huge amount of pressure and has the ability to box crash and score goals as well. Um, Cole Palmer, an incredibly flexible player who can play out wide, can play up forward, uh, up front, he can drop in and help out in the build-up as well and is a very creative player. And then Raheem Sterling, everyone knows what he can do and how dangerous he can be in those break moments when you can get in behind. Um, so yeah, there's plenty of players all the way across the across the field, who are going to cause some problems. So even even like Malagosto, who's technically their backup uh, right back, an incredibly creative player, has a, an incredible ability on the ball, uh, can get into these advanced areas and generate dangerous crosses. Um, and then they have hundreds and hundreds of really very good centre backs as well. And um, we've got, we've got George, uh, Jordi Petrovic in in goal as well an incredible shot stopper. So, you know, they don't have really any weaknesses in terms of the individuals. It's it's how it all uh, comes out in the wash as they play as a collective that that is going to be um, interesting. And so, yeah, easy to maybe dismiss Chelsea, but I think in terms of the players that they have on the field, it goes a big way towards them being a very tough, tough opponent. Yeah, we saw it quite a lot in the Premier League with Leeds, didn't we, that perhaps we'd come up against teams that weren't as they weren't that good tactically, but all it took is one moment and suddenly they've scored or they've created a chance. So, yeah, it's, it's easy to say, oh, Leeds have been dominating the championship. They'll give Chelsea a go here, but it'll take one Chelsea moment from one of their great players and that that's all it'll take, really. Adam, I know you 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 watch quite a bit of the Premier League and Chelsea, so is there any other players you want to point out here or anything else you want to build from what John said so far? Well, I, I have a mate that's a big Chelsea fan and I did sort of ask him like for a few opinions on, on a few guys. John's already mentioned a couple I was going to going to go into a bit of detail on Conor Gallagher being one and his box crashing, box crashing ability being a particularly uh, difficult thing for us to have to pick up and I think in terms of our own rest defence and, and what we do when we go forward and watching out for him because he's, he's such an impressive player in transition and so are some of their other wide forwards as well but he's one that I think we need uh, maybe to give a little bit extra um, sort of responsibility to in terms of Ampadu, Gurev, Kamara, those sorts of players and, and what they're doing and what they're, what they're thinking about with regards to him. 
a few others as well. He he mentioned Thiago Silva, who's not going to play in this game because he's injured. But he he basically said that this season he looks like he has showed signs of slowing down a little bit. He we we were at that game at Stamford Bridge a, a few years back, um, Toldo, when we had Bielsa, and it just seemed like he had so much time on the ball, and he he seems to slow the game down quite a lot. And I think that the thing that my friend was mentioning was that that's maybe not suited to how Pochettino wants to play, and that. Cobble and De Sassi have been a lot more impressive this season in getting the ball into the pivot players for them to build up or actually into the half spaces with the, the wide forwards like Palmer and Sterling who are so devastating in those areas when they get the ball. So there are, there are a few areas that um, they're maybe not as strong as well in terms of I think I know that John said that they have a lot of good players but Jackson is an interesting striker for me. He, he obviously isn't the best goal scorer. He kind of is a bit purple patchy at the moment. Maybe is a part of it is, is his age but um, he's not always uh you know the best finisher when it comes to taking chances but at the same time he will pull players wide and drag players around and he's a good outlet in that sense and he has good dribbling and ball carrying ability when you watch him and and he's quite uh, an intense player in that regard and I think they've got quite a few guys like that Sterling and and, and Palmer as well so there's there's quite a lot of areas which I I think obviously we should be concerned about but there are also some some things I'd like us to to sort of uh, take advantage of that John's already been in, in getting at and I think the big one just the last point for me is um how aggressive their fullbacks can be. Uh, it's a bit of a shame that Somerville might be injured actually and might not miss, might not play in the game because um, you called it outdated, John. Um, and and basically, uh, Gusto and Chilwell, if they are the two that play, uh, quite often are you know caught quite high, quite wide, and and they make the pitch quite big so that you can get those switch balls on potentially uh, and get behind them. I think it's definitely a possibility because of how aggressive they are, and, and I think that's why teams have had a lot of joy against them in that regard this season as well. Adam, you've had a look at Chelsea's data so far this season. So what have you seen in that? Yeah, John's alluded to it, but I'm I'm doing the Martin job today. So I've got to do this. But yes, uh, per understat, they are sixth for XG and seventh for expected goals against, which puts them seventh in the expected points table overall. And I think they're currently 10th or 11th at the time of recording, uh, I believe. Um, Their expected goal difference on FBRF is nine. So all of that's kind of somewhat positive, I guess. but the the main thing I think for a Chelsea perspective for this game uh, and and kind of the season in general is that um, the Opta supercomputer uh, I read had uh, an eighteen they, they've given them an eighteen point two percent chance of finishing in the top seven and even though their underlyings are pretty good um, or not pretty good but like decent uh, it doesn't seem like that's a very high chance so maybe the FA Cup might be their best route now into Europe I think obviously the League Cup final was the best chance but now that's probably now going to be their their best opportunity of getting into to Europe and obviously it's silverware as well and a club of Chelsea's size and stature probably need to be winning that as much as possible and then I'll just quickly give another nod to Martin because he always looked at the um, data in terms of uh, set piece XG and they have the ninth best in the Premier League which is not particularly strong as sort of middle of the road. What about Chelsea injuries ahead of this game Adam? Well they've actually got quite a lot they have actually had the uh, I haven't got a, a really up-to-date version of this, but I, I looked up the injury table as, as recently as I could get it, and it was it was mid-January, and at that time they were fifth um, in the overall uh, Premier League rankings for that, so that has continued since as well, as far as I'm aware, um, so they still have quite a lot of players missing out through injury. Marco Correa's apparently back in training soon, but he's going to miss the game, Thiago Silva, uh, Benoit Badia-Shield, but as John mentioned, they've got an absolute abundance of centre-backs, so I don't think that's particularly too much of an issue. Um, Kani Chukwameka, who probably would have played in this game because he is a a fantastic young midfielder, he might have actually got some minutes, Uh, he's actually injured as well, and then Romeo Lavia, Wesley Fofana, Rhys James, and Leslie Ukuch. Chukwu, I think that's how you say it, uh, they're all out of the game and, and a few of them again um, are, are players maybe that would have been involved because they're, they're young players that need a few more chances but they're all long-term injuries as well. So yeah, they have quite a long injury list and, and I was looking at it compared to ours and I was quite surprised pleasantly that it's actually a little bit longer than ours so that's nice. Before we let you go, John, uh, could you give us your best guess at a lineup for this game? I guess it's difficult since they played 120 minutes on Sunday and it's a FA Cup game. Yeah, I've I've had a look through some of their other cup lineups, and they've tended to go for pretty strong squads. So even the game that they beat uh, Preston uh, North End four 0 in, they still had a pretty strong squad. They had Armando Breuer up front, who's no longer playing for them, so they'll have to. Uh, find someone to to play that striker role. Uh, they did play Mikhailo Mudrik uh, as as the as the left winger in that game, and again he, he's out of favour and, and has become a bit of a laughing stock. But again, this is a player who they played 
paid a lot of money for um, and has an incredible ability in um, in transition, has shown that in various leagues. Maybe not quite so effective as he was uh, uh, in the Premier League now, but um, again, coming up against the Championship side, you, you'll know that if you give him any space, he will um, exploit that space. So I, I expect he'll probably start. Cole Palmer started in that game, so I wouldn't be surprised to see him playing. Raheem Sterling started in that game. Wouldn't be surprised to see him. Um, and then they had Caicedo and Fernandez in that game as well. So yeah, depending on how the the Carabao Cup um, result sort of hangs over the players, that they may they may feel a slightly uh, weaker starting eleven. But I think as we've already said, this is now now their remaining uh, possibility for getting silverware this season. Um, so maybe that they they still go for this um, in, in a bid to to try and get something. So yeah, I think I I wouldn't be surprised to see a fairly strong starting eleven coming out here. They don't have a huge amount of options um, beyond that in terms of players who could come in. So maybe Noni Madueke might start this one. Um, the they've 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 been playing Malagusto a fair amount, but they played Alfie Gilchrist in this game, who's a youngster that they have. Um, actually played Malagusto on the other side. Um, but yeah, I, I expect that one of Malagusto or Ben Chilwell will probably have to start, given that they don't have a huge amount of, of options beyond that. Uh, and then yeah, they've, they've got they've got Dizazi playing in this game, uh, and Levi Colwell. I imagine Colwell will play. Um, and yeah, I don't see why Dizazi wouldn't start either. So I, I can see them playing a pretty strong lineup here. To be honest, um, they don't have European competition, so it's you know yes, they've had a long cup final on on the Sunday. Um, but they should be able to come out, I think, and, and still play a fairly strong 11 midway through this week. So, yeah, I'm afraid I don't have a huge amount of optimism that this will be a wildly weakened squad. Unfortunately, John, I've got to let you go. But thank, thanks for coming on chatting Chelsea with us. Yeah, it's been great to be back. And any time uh, I can be useful, do, do get me back on. Yeah, well, hopefully, uh, hopefully we can get you on a bit sooner this time. Maybe when we're in the Premier League, you can come on and talk about some teams, more teams for us. Yeah, thanks very much, guys. Cheers, John. Cheers, John. See you soon. Before we move on to the Leeds analysis, we're going to go for a quick ad break. But first, a little more about our Patreon. Patreon is a media platform where you can support content creators you enjoy, such as us, and you get extra content in return. Our patrons get access for as little as £1.99 per month, which gives you ad-free podcasts. And if you want to pay a little more, you get other benefits, including early access to our preview pods, such as the one you are listening to now analysis articles, videos, and bonus pods. We have three tiers in total on our Patreon, so Adam, do you want to run us through those ones? Yep, so we got the Berardi tier, which is at one ninety nine. Uh That's the most basic tier. That gets you ad-free podcasts. Then we have the Click tier, which is three ninety nine, which gets you ad-free podcasts, early access to the preview pods where possible, and then the Pablo tier, which gives you all of the benefits that Toldo just went through for four ninety nine a month. So I would definitely be- go with that one. That would be the best one for you. And if they want to find the website for the Patreon, Adam, where can they find that? Patreon.com forward slash ASAW Patreon. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Let's move on to the Leeds analysis now then. So injuries, quite a lot of them, isn't there, Adam? Uh, yeah, well... 
kind of a, a weird lucky one from us because we've managed to record this podcast after Daniel Farker's presser, which doesn't happen all that often, but it happened today at lunchtime. And I think all of us shot ourselves a little bit, but well, me, maybe me the most, but I think it should be okay. It's just that uh, we've obviously got the long-term injuries of Dallas and Strauch still, that's not changed. And then short-term-wise, we have Jorginho Ruter, Crescentia Somerville, and Patrick Bamford, who are the three that are sort of major doubts for the game. There, there's a chance they could be involved, but I don't know. Um, and then James Dan James has a bruise on his foot, I believe, which means he should be fine. But Daniel Farker did mention it just in case. And then Sam Byram is, is the one that is actually returning, so that's at least some good news, and he should get some minutes, but I don't think he'll probably start the game. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of hoping these short-term injuries are justifications to drop the players yeah. and then magically reappear at half past 12 on Saturday in Huddersfield um, which I know we've, we've we've probably had this debate more in our pod, in our podcast in our, our group chat about which players do you rest which players do you play in a FA Cup but I can kind of get why we're leaning towards going against playing these big players in this one when you look at like we're playing Huddersfield half past 12 on Saturday mm. then Stoke on Tuesday and then Sheffield Wednesday, the following Friday. So, as much as it pains me, because I I would quite like us to win this and keep going in the FA Cup, I can get why we would defer on these players in this situation. Yeah, three championship games in six days is pretty mental. And I think Daniel Farker was sounded pretty pissed off about the fact that we have to play at 12.30 on Saturday as well. Just another thing, like he just got a bit wound up by that. So yeah, it is a mad schedule, so I understand that as well. I'm hoping you're right. Yeah, it's it's very clop, isn't it? But I, d- I do get it. I do but you, get it. you don't want to throw the FA Cup, right? You actually want us to have a go at Chelsea and try and win. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I, I, I want us to put out the best team we can in a, in the game. Um, that isn't risking anyone. Important. Yeah, so like if that means that Rutter and Somerville don't play because they've got a knock, that's fine. I'm more than happy with that. I'd rather err on the side of caution with those players. Um, it's more when they like would just give Somerville a rest because it's it's Chelsea. That would have annoyed me, but I, yeah. yeah, I get it otherwise. How do you think we'll approach this game in possession then, Adam? So I guess it's difficult to compare it to something else we've seen this season because the only other team in the league, well, maybe the two teams in the league you could maybe see are even representative of this game are Leicester and Southampton. They're nowhere near the level of Chelsea, are they? No, they're not. But they are the two probably closest games in terms of what it might look like. It's still going to be miles apart. It's interesting that we've had probably our hardest game of the season and then we suddenly get one that's just that little bit harder in the next game against Chelsea. That's great. Um, but at the same time, I don't think... We've said this on this podcast so many times. Varka's not going to deviate too much from his normal ideas in terms of tactical approach in possession. He's going to try to dominate the ball where he can. It's just going to be a lot harder to do because Chelsea are a vastly superior team, both in terms of, well, mainly in terms of the technical quality of the players they've got. And I think that means that they will be able to keep the ball. And so we might be somewhat chasing shadows at times because it's just how it is. And yeah, you just have to manage the game in that sense. They'll be aware of that, but I don't think that Farka's going to try not to have the ball and to, to use it. Uh, I don't, like you mentioned in the first half of the pod, I don't foresee him sitting in a deep block and trying to soak up pressure and hit them on the break. That's just not really his style. It might make us come undone, but I just don't think that's going to be that likely. How about yourself? For this one, yeah, I think it'll be, a lot of it will be dependent on the how Chelsea approaches game. I think, I I can't see us having maybe sustained possession like we're doing a lot of Chelsea, a lot of championship games. I think it'll be more we'll get our joy through transition, which is, is fine. We're, we're good in transition. That doesn't worry me at all. Um, but I think, yeah, a lot of this will be how Chelsea approaches, which is like, it's very much back to last season. Like, we, we can't dictate it like we can, we like we can in championship games. So, um, but yeah, if we just have to sort of sit, I don't think we're going to sit in and hit them on the break. But if we're if our chances are through transition, that's that's fine for me. What about out of possession then, Adam? How do you think we will approach this one? Yeah, this is obviously probably more interesting because they are going to dominate the ball more than likely for for at least most of the game. Like you say, we might have a few periods here or there, but I think for the for the most part, they're going to have the ball. Um, and yeah, it was interesting what John said, isn't it, about uh, how they've dealt with a high press and the issues in that regard this season um obviously we have seen uh, at times that we've ourselves uh initiated a a pretty aggressive 
high press in terms of going man for man. Um, I would feel abundantly more confident doing it if we had a player like Patrick Bamford playing, and I don't think it's likely that he's going to start if he is at all fit. Um, so that's not going to be maybe as good as it should be. But I'm hoping, I'm hoping Mateo Joseph gets another go because he is probably the most Bamford-like player. So in that regard, there's definitely a chance. Um, yeah, so that's that's just one thing. Uh, and then in terms of um, what they can do, what we can do. Um, if we get the ball back quickly, we do manage to to win it in whatever area, um, whether that's high and then transition quickly, or if it's in in our own deeper areas. It might be worth going a little bit more direct once we have won the ball back. I think because of what we've mentioned about the fullbacks and how aggressive they are for Chelsea, um, they really do put both of them as high and wide as possible at times. So if we can basically win the ball back, bait them on a little bit, win the ball back, and then. Um, switch the ball out quickly which is not something we've done a lot this season even if we've gone direct we don't tend to switch ball out to the other side but I know I know they'll be aware of this I'm, I'm sure they will be so hopefully they they look to do that and to knock the ball uh, out to one of the wingers we do have decent pace in the team maybe Dan James starts maybe that would be a good outlet to have so yeah there's there's ways to get at them in that sense as well um if we can either bait them on through um uh, sort of deeper uh, press or if we can um, aggressively man-mark high press which is the, the hybrid one that we've done this season so I, I think there's a couple of approaches we could take and a couple of ways we can hurt them and I think that is probably the, the better way of us of creating chances this game rather than actual sustained pressure from uh, ourselves and passing it around them Yeah, I think I'm leaning towards not doing the high press for what the reasons you said with like Bamford not playing I think I would prefer and it's like it's just better players isn't it on the ball so um, I would probably lean towards mid-blocky sort of stuff that we've seen. But then again, like that kind of concerns me as well. So maybe like you just situationally press, and I don't know how you define that. But like I think there's they are to be there to be got at if you press them. But I just I think they also have the ability just to play around us. I don't think our press is like that clever that it wouldn't be hard for them just to play around it. Um, but at the same time, I definitely don't see it just going up with like a low block or like 10 men behind the ball and hitting them on the break I think we will try and sort of push push up out of our off our 18 yard line and have a go at them to an extent what extent that is I'm not too sure do, would, would you agree with that yeah I do I do I, I think it is going to be a bit situational like that which players can you see having a bigger impact on the outcome of this game for Leeds then Adam this is hard to answer because the go-to's may not be available um Basically, our three most attacking, like important attacking players, could all well be out. And if they're not out, I don't expect them to start. So, essentially, you're saying that Bamford, Ruter, and Somerville at best will be on the bench, uh, in my view. Uh, so that means you're kind of left with the likes of Joseph, Anthony, Nonto in attack. Um, I'm not as, I mean, I, I love Nonto, and I, I think he's playing really well at the moment. Um, so that's maybe one. I did mention James before. If he is fit enough to start, I think maybe we should, actually. Uh, and he should start on the right because he can at least stretch the pitch a little bit more. And we've, we've talked about that quite a lot in the last two review pods of, of Plymouth and of uh, Leicester. So that could be another good outlet for us. Um, but yeah, I mentioned some stuff in the in the first half of the pod as well about our, our rest defence. I think Kamara, Gurev, Ampadu, those sorts of players are going to have to be so careful in, in how they handle uh, b- the box crashing players that they have and that's that's from various different angles so Sterling from the left will come into the box when the ball's on the right and then on the right it'd be Palmer or um, Madweke that'll come in from the right and, and crash the box from there as well so that, that's important and then Gallagher and they just have so much quality um, throughout the team uh, and I think people are quite low on Chelsea because of their league position for the last couple of years but John's right they have so much quality all over the pitch Um I really hope that, that Ampadu plays, even though I'm a big advocate for resting him because of the amount of minutes he's played this season, but he's against his, his you know former team and all that. And I do like that narrative and I, and I hope that he, he plays well and kind of shows them what they're missing because it was pretty interesting that we got him for such a low fee. Um, but the player I'm probably most concerned about in this game is Junior Firpo. Uh, so uh, yeah, when he's uh, coming up against any of their right-sided forwards, I'm pretty worried, to be honest. I'm kind of concerned about both fullbacks. Um, so yeah, that's that's where I'm looking at the most, where they might cause us quite a lot of damage with the overlapping fullbacks and the wingers uh, coming inside. It's you know they could have quite a lot of opportunities to double up on one of our or both of our fullbacks at times. Um, so that's concerning. And um, what would your best guess be at a predicted lineup? Um, yeah, I, I guess 
you might differ slightly, and I hope you do actually, but I, I think it will still be Melier in goal. I can't see uh, Klaassen getting a game, and I don't think Dallas still 100%. I think he's almost back, but not quite. Um, so he'll probably play. Uh, I think if, if Dallas was fit, he's our cup keeper. He probably would start, but he's not. So um, I think Connor Roberts is going to get a full debut. Uh, there's been quite a lot of talk about him and whether he's cup-tied. He's not cup-tied. Uh, basically, for people that don't know, he didn't play for Burnley in their FA Cup games in January. And... Um, he also just wasn't registered in time to play in the FA Cup game against Plymouth uh, either earlier in this month or the end of last month or whatever. Um, so yeah, um, I think he might get a start here. I could see Gray getting rested. The centre-backs is a, a bit of a, a sticky one because I think there's a chance that they might play Cooper, um, but I'm not 100% convinced. I think it might still be Roden and Ampadu. Firpo will be at left-back, although I would like Byram to get at least a half of football, or very close to a half of football, at least 30 or 45 minutes. Um Kamara and Gruev, I can't see that changing. I think that's probably quite likely to persist. The the wingers is probably the most interesting part. Anthony seems to be the go-to player in cup competition, so I think he will probably still get another game. But Nonto, will he come out and will he be rested? Or will they play James there? Will Gellhart get a go at some stage? We obviously have seen him score at Stamford Bridge, of course. I'd like him to, to maybe have some action here. I think the front two is probably set in stone, though. I, I don't know if you agree, but Joseph and Perot probably is the most likely combination with Perot going back to being the sort of player behind the, the main centre forward. And, and Joseph will be up there as a, a bit of more of a focal point. And he'll have a tough game on his hands against the likes of Disassi and, and Colwell, who are pretty big, strong guys. Yeah, I was. I realised I hadn't actually figured this out because normally for a, a league game you can just do it based on the last lineup. But I've probably, I thought I should probably write down what might happen based on a few players being rested. So yeah, I, I think I agreed a fair amount. I had Melier in goal, Roberts at right back, Firpo at left back. Road, I went for Rodon and Ampadu. I think he'll just stick with them. Um, I went for Gruev and Kamara as well. Um, and then I think it kind of gets tricky depending on how fit Dan James is to play. So if if he's fit to play. To start a game, I think he will start it. Um, and then, yeah, probably Anthony. I, I just think if you drop Nonto, though, you're kind of taking almost all the firepower out of the team, aren't you? Or that out of that front four. So that's where I was. I, I think Nonto plays and Piro plays. And so then it's kind of like, is it, does Joseph start or does Anthony start? I don't, I don't know. Is the question? Is the answer? Like, so I would kind of like to see Nonto behind a, a striker. Yeah, I was going to ask that. Are you thinking maybe Perot does play up front, and then Nonto, Anthony, and James are all behind him? Perhaps? Yeah, I'm I, I'm leaning that way uh, because I think I don't know throwing in Joseph away at Chelsea. I, I guess you want to give him experience, but is it the right experience? I don't know. Um, so if if I was to guess, I would say uh, James on the right, Anthony on the left, Nonto behind Piro. I would, I'd quite like to see that. I think that's the best case scenario you get with the players, um, players injured that at the moment. Um, and I think it probably gives us the best chance to win the game. So that's what I'd like to see, whether we see that. I don't know. Uh, let's move on to our more general questions about the game then. So what do you expect that watching this game of football will look like, Adam? I'm a little bit concerned because of the the injury issues and I don't think we're going to have a super strong bench to make changes if we do start going two and three goals behind uh, obviously it, I want to be positive and say that we can get something especially because you look at the, a team like Middlesbrough this season and even teams down the bottom end of the Premier League at times have have given them a decent game and I think we're at least as good as two or three teams down the bottom end of the Premier League so there's no reason why we couldn't but I just think it's more of our attacking sort of dynamics and, and looking at that and I'm a little bit concerned so I think they're probably going to dominate the ball um, and look to play through us I don't think we're going to be sat too deep it, it'd be kind of mid-blocky like you say and I think that they'll probably just look to to make openings where they can they do have such quality in certain areas of, of midfielders I think Enzo Fernandez is an absolute brilliant footballer um, so it might just be about them being patient and then us trying to transition quickly where we can and then when we do actually get the ball and we can't transition at least try and uh, you know retain possession and build from there and I think we'll have some spells where we can do that but it's just not going to be it's going to be few and far between whereas they're, they're probably going to have maybe like 60% of the ball here um, and look to break us down um, so yeah uh, also I, I did note and I didn't actually say it in the opening section but but one of the statistics was quite interesting just in regards to our approach uh, and the way that Chelsea might uh, transition on us is that they have had at least 28 more shots in transition 
than any other team in the Premier League this season, also ranking well clear of everyone else for transitions reaching the final third in 486 times and transitions reaching the penalty area 223 times. So they are actually an absolutely devastating team in transition. So if we do have a period of of sort of settled possession and and we're kind of making our way into their half, uh, you've got to be very, very wary of what they could do uh, in terms of hitting us on the break. So... Although I've said they're going to be pa- like sort of passing it around and, and patient, there's also probably a good chance that they might um, get their best chances through transition. Yeah, I would. I saw it the same way. I think they will dominate the ball. I think I don't. It depends how strong the lineup they go for. That if they have their irregular players, they'll probably just look like they're dominating possession and probably cutting us open a little bit. I'm gonna say, um, but yeah, we'll be able to hit them in transition. And I do think we'll we'll have chances. It's a shame that we haven't got. Rutter and Somerville in there to do that but I think the players that will play will still have chances in this game um, but yeah I think it it might it might be a difficult watch from a Leeds perspective I'm feeling for this one uh, yeah not, I'm not looking forward to it as much as I, as I was was doing when I found out about those injuries put it that way yeah same final question as always then Adam so where do you think this game will be won or lost yeah, I'm not going to predict a scoreline because we don't do that on this podcast. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to be a case of uh, can we deal with them in terms of when they're trying to break us down and can we transition quickly when we get those moments, whether that's a switch ball out to a, a flank or whether it's just um, some pretty quick passing uh, and carrying in, in midfield. Kamara's pretty good at that. So can we make the most of those moments when they do come? Um, I obviously note what you said about some of them Ruta. When they're not here, it is more concerning and they are obviously our best two attackers, let alone transitional attackers, but they're particularly good at, in that regard. So not having them is a blow. Uh, but I still think there's there's a, a way that Nanto and Anthony and, and James and those sorts of players can, can make something happen. I wouldn't be surprised if we scored in this game. But yeah, then it's about what can we do in terms of keeping them out. And I don't want us to drop deeper and deeper slowly and then they suddenly just manage to break us down and, and score. Um, so yeah, it's uh, basically, can we transition well? Um and can we can we deal with them well enough in terms of our rest defence and in terms of just when we're under the cosh and, and, and making it so that maybe their fullbacks don't overlap and break us down really easily out, out wide as well. That's another area of big concern for me. I'm going to keep my answer simple for this one and just say the game will be won or lost because Chelsea will have good players and we don't have our best players playing, so Chelsea will win the game. Yeah, And I, don't, I made a prediction, which I shouldn't have done, but that's... You didn't say a scoreline. You're fine. You get away with that. Is your mic just come out, Adam? It's very blurred. Is it all right now? It is better now, yeah. So I think with that, I will bring an end to the Chelsea preview. Adam, could you just remind people where they can find the Patreon? That is patreon.com forward slash ASAW Patreon. Lovely stuff. So we will be back at some point this week. I think we're going to be previewing Huddersfield on Thursday and we will talk about the Chelsea game. We're not going to do a full review, but we'll, I imagine we'll talk about it in a bit of depth on that one. Mm-hmm. But until then, I will say once again, thank you very much, John, for coming on, if you are listening, which I doubt you are at this point. But <laughs> thank, um, for, for, thank you for, uh, for coming on and please come on again um, whenever you have chance. And or Adam, you were also here. Thank you, for, thank you for coming on the pod. Yeah, thank you. I liked this trip down memory lane. Me, you, and John on a pod again. It's, it's pr- genuinely been maybe two, two and a half years. A hundred percent. It's been that long. Yeah, it was probably sometime in twenty twenty two. Like you said, maybe, maybe even twenty twenty one. I don't know. But it was good. No, very much enjoyed it. And as always, thank you everyone for listening, and we'll speak to you soon. Bye. 